Let's open our Bibles today to Psalm 97. Psalm 97. Happy Father's Day to you. And I do, I guess, in particular today, want to say happy Grandfather's Day uh, as well. And uh, today will be different for our home, uh, for our house, and our day. And I'm excited uh, about what's ahead for today um, <clears throat> when you leave this morning I want to ask you to help us um, have a good week a powerful week of youth camp our teenagers leave uh, tomorrow for a week of camp up in the mountains and when you walk out today there are some uh, bands some bracelets for you to grab one of just reach and grab and take a name wear it keep it close through the week and pray daily for our, our leaders and especially for our students as they go and the word of God is poured into them and they build relationships and hear uh, uh, from uh, Bible from Bible being taught and so please uh, grab one and be a prayer warrior for youth camp this week I know that uh, Taylor and Caroline would be most grateful uh, if you pray for them as they go to camp. Uh, in the fall of 1984, and I realize that that is way before a lot of you were born, and uh, for some of you, that means that you are graduating high school, and that's the year that I uh, graduated high school in 84. You do the math some other time when you have a calculator. Uh, but in the fall of 84, my older brother and a close friend of his uh, took me, uh, we all went together to Texas, about a 36-hour trip. It was a very anticipated football game between the University of Texas and Auburn University, and a highly anticipated year for Auburn, and uh, we drove spent the night with a distant relative that we struck up we knew we'd have a free place to stay and it was a very typical college trip and uh, we uh, saw Auburn and Texas play Auburn lost twice that night we said how in the world does that happen we can do those kind of things <laughs> and uh, we lost both the game to Texas and Bo Jackson broke his collarbone at some point in that game, continued to play, but was out for a few weeks after that. That's another story. The piece of the story that still marks me to this day is the other friend that went with us. His name was Brent Craig. Uh, Brent is um, was a guy I was just getting to know, and my brother knew him better. And Brent had this habit that was a part of that entire 36 hours. And he would call my name or call my brother's name and ask this question about every two hours. Carlos, are you happy? And I was the first time, I was like, yeah, man, we're going to Texas. And about you know, 30 hours into that trip, Carlos, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Leave me alone, you're just like, ugh. Just over and over and over again, even after we lost. Are, Carlos, are you happy? Are you happy? And uh, Brent 
uh, Craig is a district judge today in Morgan County, Alabama, and I wonder from time to time if he might like approach the bench and just look at a lawyer and say, are you happy uh, in that courtroom? But that question just stuck with me. And, uh, and are, are, you, are you happy, Carlos? And, and I, I stand in front of you today, and I would, I, I'm thinking about being a dad. I'm thinking about being a, a father. I'm thinking about just being a, a person. And there have been uh, stretches of my life where I would say I'm not happy. In fact, there was a season in my life where uh, far too many times members of my family would refer to me as grumpy gills and uh, I don't know if any of you have ever had such a slanderous accusation made toward you but uh, grumpy gills and and this is an honest prayer I, I, I became bothered by that convicted by that and I do pray even today that I would live long enough for my family to forget those days of grumpy gills and, and they would remember me on that day as glad dad and uh, just our happy dad. And, and, and I want to speak to you for a few minutes from Psalm 97 about this thought of being happy. Now, sometimes happy gets a, a bad rap. We, we as, as Christians, we often want to contrast uh, joy and and happiness and and I, I, I'm not going to really get into that today. What I'm I'm talking about is just a sense in our heart of of a of this a, a general sense and demeanor that um, God's got this, and we can rest in Him, and we can be joyful in Him. And the, and, and, and the world might not know what to call it. And the only thing they would know to say is, that's a, that's a happy guy. That's a happy dad. That's a, that's a happy person. And, and so I, I want you to see in Psalm 97 how worship um, overcomes so many different battles that we have in our moods, in our perspective. Uh, some of you in this room right now are incredibly paralyzed by worry. And, and I, I want you to see that worship defeats worry. Uh, some of you are, are, are paralyzed uh, by anxiety. And, and, I, and I want you to see that in Psalm 97 that there is a lot of help for anxiety, for worry. Uh, I, I think of even the, the verse in the New Testament, or Peter's writings, where he says to uh, cast your anxieties on the Lord because he, what? Cares for you. And you know what you just, you know what's stated at the end of that verse? He cares for you. What, what, the, what Peter's saying is, is that you have the kind of God that has the character and the attribute that he has not left you alone where you are. He is with you and he cares for you. And, and, and it's, a, it's an invitation to worship 
who God is and to acknowledge who God is in our life. And so looking at Psalm 97 today, I want you to, to just take this journey with me and I, I want you to see what happens, uh, what happens in your heart when you worship through this psalm. And it's an invitation for us together today to, to worship through this psalm. And, and, I, and as I read these verses, I wonder what happens in your heart when I read these verses. All right. Psalm 97, verse 1. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. This is a psalm that shows us what worship does to our hearts. What happens when you read this psalm? How does worship defeat worry? How does worship make us happy? How does worship bring light to the dark night of the soul? It's here in Psalm 97. When we read through this psalm, I want you to notice that we see and we hear who God is. One of the beautiful privileges of working through the psalms is to approach the psalms one by one by one with the question, where is God in this psalm? Who is God in this psalm? You see, the psalms are their prayers, their songs, their, their worship, their, their, their poetry, their, the, the thoughts of the mind and the words of the mouth coming from the beliefs of the heart. And they're, they're put together for us. And as we read through, we have an encounter with the language and communication of God. And when you read through Psalm 97, we see and hear who God is. And let's just look at it a little bit. The very first verse says, the Lord reigns. 
Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. And the very first thing we're met with in verse 1 of Psalm 97 is that Yahweh reigns. It is a descriptor of a king. And he's saying to us that the Lord that we worship, the God that we worship, Yahweh, he is, is, he's active. It's not something that he did in the past. It's not a one-time act. It is an ongoing operation of our king. God is reigning. The biblical attribute that we use to describe the Lord reigning over the whole earth is the word sovereignty. God is sovereign. Yahweh is sovereign. Our Lord is in control. And when I start this psalm, when I begin to worship in this psalm, I'm met with this crowning attribute of who God is and how God works. And it's this truth, in fact, that God is not off his throne. He's not out of control. He's not asleep. He's reigning. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is sovereign. And I can rest in who he is. The call here in light of his sovereignty is for us to rejoice. The, the very the, the, the very call, the very reaction of the psalmist is, is described for us. It's, just, it's like he's saying, because God is sovereign. Because the Lord reigns, we have reason to be joyful. We have reasons to express our joy. We have a reason to look up. We have a reason to have a countenance on our face that shows God's got this. He says, let the earth rejoice let the many coastlands be glad. Don't miss the fact that this is an Israelite writing this psalm. And he looks beyond his people group. He looks beyond his border. He looks beyond his geographical location. And he looks across to the parts of the world that he has never been to, never expects to go to. And he says the kind of God we have is not just God of Jacob. He is God of the whole earth. He's a God even right through to this day for somebody living in Watkinsville, Georgia. And when he says, let the many coastlands be glad, this is a Hebrew word translated coastlands here that in some places is translated islands. Let the, let the many islands be glad. Let the many coastlands. He's, he's picturing his mind looking out across the water, wherever the water touches on the other side. Even there, let them be glad. Let them rejoice because this God that we worship is even sovereign there. The most literal translation that some give for that Hebrew word is far-flung places. Even to the far-flung places. When I read that phrase this week in study, I, I had in my mind just, just God creating. And he just, 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 just putting things here. And, he's, and it's like the psalmist is saying, just... The, the, the furthest place that God created in his human mind, he's still reigning there. And it speaks to our heart when we think we're isolated and alone and God doesn't see and he's not involved in our world. This psalm starts with the truth and fact of who God is and that is he is sovereign over the whole earth. Is that encouraging to you? 
He says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. As the psalmist writes these words, it speaks of the, it, it, it speaks of the mystery of God's sovereignty. When we think of clouds and thick darkness, you think of things that we can't see completely through. It, there's some things that are hidden. And the psalmist in such powerful ways described God even in his sovereignty. When we can't see all the way through all that he's doing, when we can't make sense of, of every movement of God, we're reminded that in the darkness, in the clouds of life, that God is working in 10,000 different ways, still in charge, still in control. And we can trust the mysteries of what we don't understand about God because he's sovereign he says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne and that's what gives us confidence when times are mysterious when we look to God and we say God what are you doing we know that whatever he's doing is built on a foundation of rightness and justice maybe you're like me for years the word righteousness was just one of those biblical words that I knew I was supposed to celebrate. It, it's, it, you hear it a lot, we sing it, but if you ask me to define it, I'm scratching my head. And, and the, the way that I learned to just understand the word righteousness best is to take the E-O-U-S out of it and put a hyphen in there and just think of it as rightness. God's rightness. If there's a law, he matches it. If, he's a, if there's a standard, he's perfection. There is no blemish. There is no, uh, there, there, there is no spot. There, there is no letdown. There is no fall off. God's righteousness. He does all things right because he is right. And then just. His, it's the foundation of his throne. And then verse, five, verse 3, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around as a reminder to us that God is the avenger. God is the judge. God is the one of righteousness and he knows where judgment is needed. And he will, in his time, deal with his adversaries. Verse 4, his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. I, I look at those and what I see is a description of, of, of natural power, you could say. All of us have experienced those days or nights where lightning fills the sky. And the psalmist obviously had seen that. And perhaps looking out over the Mediterranean Sea, the psalmist had seen at some point lightning crackle across the sky or strike from the heavens to the earth. And, and he just describes it as being his, his lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. And we all know what it's like to be scared in a thunderstorm, in a lightning storm. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. I picture volcanoes erupting. It seems to me that the psalmist is reaching for the most powerful displays that he's ever seen. The kinds of things that make you fear and tremble. And he's saying our sovereign God is even more powerful than those things. 
gives us some way of measuring the power of God. And then verse 6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Those verses, for some reason, always call me to the darkest of night where there are no street lights looking into the sky to see the heavens robed in splendor. And hear from scientists again and again and again that they've discovered more stars and more galaxies beyond anything that we can see. And the psalmist says, you know what's happening in the heavens? You see his glory. That's who God is. And it's a call for us to start our worship with who God is. Secondly, notice what what idols are. We see who God is, and as you worship through this psalm, we, we then see not only who God is, but we see what idols are. And there are two things that I see in these verses here that I'd show you that idols are, and that is they are unfaithful and they are worthless. He says in verse 7, all worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. All worshipers. And, and, and the, 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 the lesson here is, is that we, we worship something. We worship someone. We are built with this hole in our soul that, that, that is only full by worshiping something or someone. He says, all worshipers of images are put to shame. He's saying, when you worship something or someone or some idea over Yahweh, the one true God, what you will find is that it leads to a life of shame. What he's saying is that idols are unfaithful. They're unfaithful. They lead to shame. You know what idols do? Idols make us fools. Idols make us fools. And when we take our eyes off of Yahweh, when we take our eyes off the sovereign God, and we take our affections away from a sovereign God, and we put our affections and our attention and our devotion on idols, we have begun to worship an unfaithful God. um, one more sports illustration and I'm done with them today all right I remember um, a year in the past where I was really excited about Auburn football all right there was a year (laughs) and and toward the end of that year things just fell apart And I remember saying, it was like God just put his finger on my heart. He said, football is an unfaithful God. Listen. Money is an unfaithful God. Cars are an unfaithful God. Possessions are an unfaithful God. 
listen, stay with me. Our kids are unfaithful gods. If we worship our kids, if we put our kids' dreams and our expectations and, and if, if our whole life's happiness is wrapped up in our children, we will find that that God is an unfaithful God. There is only one faithful God, and his name is Yahweh. And over, I would show you also that, that they're, they're worthless. He, he makes this, he said, if you, you, make your, you make your boast in worthless idols. He, he said, they have no lasting value. We, we talk about it here. We, we try to take care of our facilities, but we don't worship these buildings. Uh, this, this is all going to burn one day. We, we, the, the, the possessions I, over my life, I, there's something about it in a, in a guy's heart. I don't know, never been a girl, so I don't know if it's this way in a girl's heart or not, but there's something in a, in a, and I don't plan on being one, all right? So, <laughs> listen, and I, I, um, so we'll get that out there in case you're wondering. Uh, it, but guys just like to collect things. I li like to collect things. And, and over the years, it would just be this search. What am I going to collect? And my brother would collect this and collect that. I need something to collect. And I remember he collected wheat pennies. And, and I remember my brother, I was like, Jeff, what am I going to collect? And he's like, look, just collect nickels. And I'm just like, nickels I'd started collecting key rings we we just I just collected all different kinds I still in a in a trunk in the attic I've got like these all of these hundreds of key rings that I've just collected over the years and 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 I and I thought it was funny recently when I saw this guy's collection of cars and I thought we're in two different worlds I'm collecting key rings <laughs> And you're collecting cars. But also, I realized that in the end, his cars are going to be worth about as much as my key rings. You see, we, we have to be, be careful, cautious, not let our affections and our love and our worship get attached to unfaithful, worthless idols it's okay to collect things don't listen i'm not arguing against that i'm just saying we got to check our heart to see what happens what happens in our heart when people mess with what you worship and and when people when when, when we'll find out where our affection is when people start trying to uh, take them away We worship through here and we say, look who God is. Look what idols are. And, and when you think about idols, realize that a lot of our unhappiness can come because all of a sudden our idols are being affected. Number three, we see and hear in this psalm how we win. We see and hear in this psalm how we win. 
In verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. This psalm starts where it ends. Verse 1, let the, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Verse 11, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let me, let me just give you five ways we win through worship. Number one, when you worship, start with surrender. Start your day with surrender. I've said it to you before that a guide for just living every day for me is to begin my day with surrender and to end my day with thanksgiving. And, and I would exhort you in your day when the alarm goes off or your eyes pop open, when, when you realize, hey, it's the start of my day. For you, it may be a shift that starts at 11 p.m., but when your day is starting, you're about to begin moving and you become active in your day, start with surrender. And, and the reason we do that is because he's reigning anyway. And if we just go to him and acknowledge your king, then we don't find ourselves kicking against a reigning sovereign God all day long. And we're able to just come and say, here before my feet ever hit the floor, Lord, before I ever pull back the covers, I just want to surrender to you my life this day. You're king. I'm not. Here we go. I surrender. Start with surrender. Number two, um, the, the, the second way you, you, you win daily is not only starting with surrender, but then to get yourself happy in Jesus. And I, I wanted to say that, and I, I, I started to write it down, and I thought, get happy in Jesus? I don't know if I like that phrase. But it really describes what's going on here in verse 11 and 12. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And, and, and I kept, I was like, you know what happens right there when you read that and you study those words and you worship God and who he is and who we are, your soul begins to get happy in Jesus. And by that, here's what I mean. When he says light is sown for the righteous, I look immediately and, I, and there's this sense righteous. I'm like, you know what? God is righteous, but I'm not. I fall short of his glory. I fall short of his standard I needed a savior and when I remember when I see the word righteous that the only way that I can be classified in the category of being righteous a benefactor of these promises is for me to realize that my righteousness comes from Jesus and today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then I, I can't, the only way you can win in this life is not to depend on your own righteousness because it'll never match God's unless you have Jesus' righteousness. And the way we receive Jesus' righteousness is to believe that he died on a cross for us to pay for our sin. And when he died on the cross and paid for our sin, at the same time when we believe and trust in him, his righteousness, his perfection, his righteousness is credited to our lives. 
It goes on our account so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our blemishes. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. And we're able to have a relationship with our heavenly father because we come to him through his son. The verse that summarizes that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that through him we might have the righteousness of God. That's good news. And so when I look at this and I think, all right, light is sown for the righteous, those who've received the righteousness of Christ and joy for the upright in heart. He's saying, look, you, you're walking with Christ. You're worshiping Yahweh. There is joy in that. There is light dawning for you. Rejoice, be joyful in the Lord, you righteous. Give thanks to his holy name. You, you could say give thanks to remembering who he is. And so getting happy in Jesus is worshiping him. It's praying through psalms like this. It's singing the songs that praise God. It's seeing who, who has died for us. It's recognizing our identities wrapped up in who Christ is. George Mueller, who operated orphanages across England, England in the 1800s, he said, first, the first and foremost responsibility for me every day is to get my heart happy in Jesus. Number three, hate evil. Hate evil. Man, if you were going to pray one prayer over your children, pray this. Lord, would you give me a son? Would you give me a daughter? Would you let them grow to a point where they love the things you love and they hate the things you hate? Pray that for your own heart. Pray that you'll see things in, in, in your own heart. Start it with your own life. I've got to start it with my own life. He says, oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Hate evil. Number four, know, know your place. And, and that's really just a restating of uh, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, O oh, you righteous. To know our place means that we know we're only righteous because of what Jesus has done. And then number five, give thanks. Give thanks. Start with surrender. Get happy in Jesus. Hate evil. Know your place. Give thanks. That's how we win. That's how light dawns in our life. That's how joy flows. That's how happiness comes. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote back in the 60s. He said the greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church unhappy Christians are to say the least a poor recommendation for the Christian faith and there can be little doubt but that the exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity he goes on he says Christian people too often seem to be perpetually in the doldrums and too often give this appearance of unhappiness and a lack of freedom and an absence of joy. There is no question at all but that, these, that this is the main reason why large numbers of people have ceased to be interested in Christianity. And let us be quite frank and admit it. 
there's a sense in which there is some justification for their attitude. We have to confess that their criticism is a fair one. It behooves us. Therefore, not only for our own sakes, but also for the sake of the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ in whom we believe, to represent him and his cause, his message, and his power in such a way that men and women, far from being antagonized, will be drawn and attracted as they observe us, whatever our circumstances or condition we must so live that they will be compelled to say would to God I could be like that would to God I could live in this world and go through this world as that person does obviously if we are cast down ourselves we are never going to be able to function in that way I'm offering to us today in Psalm 97 is a picture of how worship will move us from being downcast to being upright. So, in closing, we're not going to sing or worship today. I want to ask you to close your Bibles or close your notebooks, whatever is open, close your phones. Um, And, and I, and I want to invite you to, to posture of worship. I don't know what that would look like for you in this room right now. But what I want to do in worship to close this out is to pray over you, with you, through this psalm. And allow the words of this psalm to be our worship today in prayer. And I'll read a verse and I will pray with you and over you. Let's worship. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Father in heaven, we worship you today. Yahweh, Lord, you reign. You're in charge. You're in control. You're sovereign. Lord, the whole earth, the whole earth is in a position to where we must give you praise Lord in this room a long way from where this psalm was first written here we sit and on this coastland on this far flung area with the psalmist we acknowledge we rejoice that you reign and I pray in this room that you would move in hearts and lives and the countenance of people's faces, the thoughts of people's minds to a point to where there would be rejoicing, where there would be gladness. Spirit of God, would you bring gladness to our hearts as we worship you in your sovereignty? Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Father, we don't understand a lot of what you do. 
Sometimes we see just the beginning of what you do. Sometimes we're looking at the middle. Sometimes we're looking at the end. Sometimes we just, maybe more times than I even know how to count, I'm looking at you and all I can do is trust you because I don't see how you're working. And I know, Lord, in this room right now, there's dads and moms, men and women, boys and girls that um, would say, Life is like a cloud. Life is like darkness right now. They can't see where you're headed or what you're doing. And I pray, Father, in this, we would still worship you. We could still be glad. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. Lord, we trust that you are the judge. You know the wheat from the tares. You know righteousness from unrighteousness. We rest in the fact that you do all things well and you will deal with the adversaries of your kingdom according to your sovereign patience and justice and righteousness. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Lord, I don't know of anything more intimidating than lightning or an erupting volcano or or just the trembling of an earthquake. Things we can't do anything about. But Lord, you are powerful. You are bigger than all of those. You're bigger than my circumstances. You're bigger than any story in this room. We worship you. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Father, I pray today in this room that you would help each person at some point in this day notice the heavens, notice the skies, notice your glory, your handiwork, your creativity, your power, and we would give you glory. We would declare with our words, with our thoughts, with our actions, with our prayers, with our giving, with our singing, your glory. You're worthy. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Father, would you show me where I have idols. Show me where my affections are not in right position would you today Lord rid us through your convicting hand and our repentance of idols be on the throne we worship you you are faithful you are worthy and every small case G God must bow down before you you are big and mighty Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Father, we we join with others. We join with Jerusalem. We join with the Israelites. We join with those who come before us in rejoicing in you. You are worthy of our praise. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all, all gods. With our words now, Lord, we say to you, you are most high. Nothing ranks over you. Jesus, you are the preeminent one. 
you are exalted. We declare it, but we're simply agreeing what is true, whether we say it or not. Oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Father, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your preserving power. Thank you that we have eternal life because of Jesus. Would you help us to love more the things you love? And would you help us to hate the things that you hate? Would you, Lord, let us die to self and die to flesh and be crucified with Christ and live full of the Spirit and walk with the, in step with the Spirit? Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Father, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you that there is a future for the believer. Thank you that there is the promise of light. There is a promise for joy. There is a promise, Lord, of your eternal reign. We rejoice in you. We worship you. We exalt you. We give you thanks for salvation. We give you thanks for a church family. We give you thanks, Jesus, for dying and rising again. We give you thanks that we can live with the hope of heaven. We give you thanks that you're a coming king. We give you thanks for being a personal God. We give you thanks for your holiness, for your good deeds. Would you, Father, today help us to look up, to walk uprightly, With, the, with a newer hymn writer than the one we've just read, we say, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.